Book Three, Chapter Four, Part Two of Precious Bane by Mary Webb. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Noel Badrian. Jancis runs away, Part Two. There was a strangeness about the place all that Christmas. It was the best Christmas we ever had, and there was more singing and laughing than there'd been for many a year, and yet it was, in a manner of speaking, sad. It seemed to me as if the singing came from a great way off, under the water, and when Jancis sat by the window, with the light falling on her pale gold hair and pale face through the greenish bottle-glass, it made her look as if the water flowed over her. Green gravel, green gravel, the grass is so green, the fairest young lady that ever was seen. I'll wash you in milk, and clothe you in silk, and write down your name with a gold pen and ink. Ah, I can hear Jancis singing that song now, with her sweet shrilly voice a great way off. Ah, me, a great way off. Mother let me get her up Christmas morning, and came into the kitchen, sitting snug in the chimney corner, watching the lovers with a pleased, understanding, merry look, such as I've often seen on the faces of old women that have lived their lives, and no summit of love. It's as if they said, as they looked at the young lovers, Pleased be ye, my lad, You'll be better pleased yet. All of a twitter be ye, my girl. Well, I can tell ye, you'll be in more of a twitter later on, a power. I could see very well that when we three sang, as Joseph was a-walking, and good Christian men rejoice, mother was hearing other voices too, little voices, like the callard children's, lifted up altogether, shrilly and sweet. She was seeing other faces, well scrubbed and rosy, lifted up to her as she sat in the dusk of the settle, ready to smile when the solemn carols were done, and shout, Grandma! She kept on patting Jancis on shoulder and saying, Pretty thing, pretty! And once I heard her cautioning Jancis against hairs. When your time comes, my dear, dunny you go in the woods much, nor yet in the meadows. Keep near home, and you wanna come across one. Twould be a sad mischance, so it would. Oh, Mrs. San, says Jancis, laughing and colouring up above a bit, you do run on so fast. We inna so much as caught in yet. And so do time run on, my dear. You manna let the moss grow on the path of love. Dunna give too many nay words. He's a good lad when you dunna vex him. But it's San more than me as wants to wait, said Jancis. Foolish, foolish lad. What matter for the silver plate? What matter for so many maids and men? I'm sure I'd be content without, so as I needn't tend swine again, and can have my feet to the fire and a cup of tea. San wants to take me to the aunt ball, said Jancis and I be to go in afore Miss Dorabella. That's a mischievous thought, for what done it matter who's first, so long as all be in, and what is it to go to one ball more than another? 
but I'd like it right well to go in afore Miss Dorabella. And so thee shall, called out Gideon from the door, where he was knocking the snow and mud off his boots. And so thee shall, my girl, and dressed as shameless as a lady. He came across the kitchen with the bit of mistletoe he'd clumbed the big apple tree to get, and gave her a loud, smacking kiss under it. Mother clapped hands as pleased as a child when Kitty wakes up and plays. But even when she clapped for joy, her hands still looked like the little praying paws of a trapped mole. Not later than harvest, San, she pleaded. You wanna put it off later than that? I'll last till then, sure, but after, the winter comes, and who knows, I'd leaf see you where the fore winter. Oh, we shanna put it off, mother, no danger, what need? For I shall be a rich mon when I've sold the corn, and it'll cost naught to get it, for we can have a love carriage, and I can pay back with task work in the winter, and in another two three years we can shift, for the old mon at Lullingford wanna last long, and the money'll be ready when the place comes on the market. So they were all merry, and when I said the tea's scalded, Gideon gave me a very affectionate pat on the shoulder and said I was a good wench. A right good wench, if ever there was one. Now draw up, draw up to table all. I want me tea cruel. But I couldn't be as merry as they were. I felt outside it all. Only I took a bit of comfort now and again between cutting bread and frizzling rashes and pouring tea in looking up at my letter on the mantel, with the address on it, in very tall script. Mr. Woodseaves, The Weaver's House, Lullingford. Then Jancis told us about Castor, and of the things that had come about through Grimble's spite, which could not be told in letters. For it seemed that Grimble and Huglet had misliked Castor ever since he stopped the baiting, and the mislike had soon grown into black hatred. They tried to set all the other farmers again him, saying this and that. They found fault with his weaving, which was the best in all the country round. And they said he was slow and dear. Not content with that, they must inquire into his religion and his ways of thinking in the matter of the corn laws and the parliament men. They hobnobbed with Squire over that, and set him again Kester too, worse than he was, for they said naught about the baiting, but kept to the corn. Every way they could, they worked against Kester, and very worried they must have been that he did not drink or go after woman, or do anything that they could have told of to the parish constable. But they did their best to make his life a burden for it irked them so sore to think of no bull-baiting for ten years. So one day when he was weaving at Grimble's, and it came to evening, Mr. Grimble looked at the cloth Kester had done in the day, and could not find fault with it, neither with the quality nor the quantity, for he'd worked right well, and Janser said it was as smooth as silk, and never a lump nor a knot in it. He said naught to Castor, and after supper Jancis fetched the paper, and they began to write the letter to Gideon. And it seemed Mr. Grimble could na abide to see that, for he could na read nor write, 
and he thought Castor was above himself. So when he couldn't keep any longer, but man speak or burst, he says, If young San do like damaged goods, he'll get what he wants, and I doubt he'll have you to thank, Weaver. Very comfortable and pleasant you be together, I must say, you and San's girl. It's baby linen you best be weaving, young wood sieves. And with that, Castor snatched up his hat and all his things in a fury, but saying naught. And when he got to the door, he turns round and says, You met get Huglet's brother-in-law to weave for ye from now on, Grimble. You'll go without weaving for all me. You be a foul-mouthed toad, and a disgrace to your parish, which is situate in hell. He flung out, and he never came near the place again. I was forced to go up to the attic to think about it a bit. I did love Castor so sore for his rage. I thought I'd like to see an in a rage, though not with me, for if he was in a proper rage with me, I'd die. On Boxing Day I went across to the stone house, and a windy walk it was, for the snow was drifted deep along the wood path, but it was fair overhead and a mistletoe-thrush was singing, and the cuckoo's beads were very bright on all the may-trees. Beguildy was out for a wonder. Mrs. Beguildy and me had a good talk. Well, well, poor lamb, she said, to think she couldn't have come home to her own mother, because the mester be such a pig-headed fool. Drat the man! Now what's to do? For go back to Grimble's she never shall. But ours'll be roaring mad to think of all that money gone. Keep her a bit longer till the worst's worn off, my dear. Oh, she can bide, and welcome, as long as she's a mind. May them above reward ye, she says, for she was a very religious person in the manner of the church. And though I've no wish to speak ill of her, yet I partly think she was religious, in a measure at least, to spite beguiledy, but maybe this is a wicked thought of mine. Gideon was telling us that Callard's girl ran away afore winter, I said. She's by lonesome there all day with the five little uns and the baby. Maybe if we went at it the right way, and made a favour of it, they'd pay the same rate as Grimble's. They'll get nobody else till the spring, for they're all hired now till May. And besides, Callard's dingle in a place the girls like. You go and see Mrs. Callard, and I'll make shift to have a lesson to keep your maester busy. But you've left learning this long while, my dear, for you know as much as Beguildy does. Ah, well, there's summat new I want to learn, but I dunno if it's in the books. What met that be? It's an old ancient charm, Mrs. Beguildy, and it's called content. Oh, that! It's in no book of his'n. Nor in any book, I said. But I thought there's one knows it. Please God, he met learn me. But that he never will. Eh, but it be no manner use for me to go, Prue, she says. They'd set the dogs on me, very like. Callard's very religious, you mind, and he canna abide ours. And all he thinks, his missus thinks. All he says, she says, pat like the sarn echo. 
Come to that, it'll go hard, but they'll take chances in at all, whatever, being who her dadda is. But maybe if you went, and told them on the quiet, that Jancis is promised to San, they met think of it, for your brother's beginning to be well spoken of as a man that's bound to be rich. So I said I'd go. I couldna abide going, being looked at a bit sideways myself, and spoken ill of time and again. But when I saw Gideon and Jancis so pleasant and merry together in the even, playing beggar me neighbour by firelight, I knew I was bound to go. Why, Gideon, I says, you're busy at it, I see, though you canna play conquer with cobnuts and snailhausen now, being too old, you're beggaring somebody still. Conquer, says mother from her corner, ah, what a game that is. He was always very set on it, you mind. He liked to play with them big pink and white conkers. The Roman snail, they callin' it, dunna they, Prue? It was those you went after the night poor San was took in his boots, poor soul. She cried a bit, and went to look very small, which she always did when she was vexed. There, there, mother, dunna fret, he's in peace now. Ah, poor soul, and San's took the sin, my son San. Jumbled it up proper, ah, did and I can see as there'll be lads to play conquer in our kitchen yet, with the big pink and white uns of an evening. She looked across at the settle. Gideon had just beggared Jancis, and was in very good fettle. Ah, boys and girls, says mother, for I see well as he'll beggar her of more than cards. She began to laugh at the thought of the grandchildren, and at her joke and she laughed so much that she gave herself a hoost and i had to put her to bed next day i set off for callard's dingle it was a way nobody would choose to go with snow deep on the ground for it lay over bleak high pastures with northerly slopes bitter cold and drifted up but seeing i was on a good errand i began to sing out on the bare pastures with none to hear open the gates as wide as the sky and there by the farm in a little fenced field what should i see grazing under a dark pine wood but the white bull that kester saved from the baiting i stopped and looked at it a bit there it was not dead nor maimed its nice white coat in good case and looking as contented as if it was just come to heaven and all because of kester He'd kept his promise and paid the money, and then given the bull back to Callard for his children. If you ever come to think bull-baiting's bad, I'd leave you told em so, he said, but not again your conscience. Now Callard was a very honest man, and he felt bound to make some return, whether or no, so he took the matter up in good sadness. Janser said afterwards that it was very amusing to see him gather all the children together round the hearth, sitting on their little stools of an evening, the baby also being there on its mother's knee, and Callard had say very loud, Bull-baiting's bad. And his missus, in that melancholy voice of hers, would repeat, Bad, like the sarn echo. 
Then all the children would sing out like a nest of birds, Bull-baiting's bad. And times the baby would give a guggle, And times he'd stay quiet considering like. There was only one disagreeing voice, and that was old Grandfer Callard's, which was very high and trembling. He'd call out, No, no, it in a bad, it be a right good merry old sport. But nobody listened to him, for he was getting very simple. He came to the door when I knocked, and called out to his daughter-in-law. It be that there long thing, young woman, Maria, the witch-woman. Well, bring her in, Father law Come thy ways, he said. Her'll be down when the baby gives over hollering. I do wish I'd got such lungs as his'n. I be very middlin', very middlin' I be. Can you do cures? I said no to that. Oh, I thought beguiled he learnt ye. A very sinful man is that, soaked in sin like a sheep in raddle. It wanna be any manner of use for him to yammer at the doors of paradise and say, Wesh me and I shall be whiter than snow. For I tell ye, not the judge of all could claim him, even if he could spare the time to it. Ah, a wicked old man is the wizard. I do believe he lives by sucking folk's life away in the mid of night. Ah, sucks their blood he does. They say he goes to the churchyard and digs folk up to steal their bones and grind them for his spells. They say he fetches little children home in his bag and makes a meal of em. Oh, he be the wickedest man since Punty Pilot, no danger. By this the elder children were roaring with fright, and Mrs. Callard called out from the top of the stair, Father law, what be saying now? Hold thy noise. Mr. Callard came in then, and said I'd best take potluck, seeing it was tea-time. So when we'd had our tea, I'd told them about chances. So, hers run away, says Mr. Callard, in this weather. Well, by gum. Gum, says his missus. Broke her time, says Callard. Time, says his missus, sorrowful. Nobody ever broke their time when I was the lad said the old man. They darst na. They'd have been put in the stocks. And you be sure it inna anything to do with Weaver. Weaver, says Mrs. Callard, grievous. Weaver, Weaver, shouted the children, and it seemed to me as if they praised his name. I be as sure of that as I'm sure that I breathe, I said. And she's promised to your brother. Ah, they be wed come harvest home. Then, says Mr. Callard, the missus shall give the girl a trial. Trial, echoes Mrs. Callard in a hopeless sort of way, as if she thought that was what chances would be. They agreed to take chances for six months, and to give her three pound, which was a deal for them to offer. So I went back in high feather. Next day, Gideon said we could have Bendigo, so I drove Jancis to Callard's, stopping at Beguildy's on the way to break the news to the old man. Oh, dear me, but he was in a passion, and the worst of it was that he blamed it all on Gideon, who had naught to do with it at all. I'll be even with that brother of yours for this, he says. 
Ah, a very aggravating man. His dad was the same. I couldn't plan out anything or set my hand to any work, but he'd come and knock it down, tiddly-bump. And young San's the same. Look at the way he's let and hindered me over the young squire. But Mrs. Beguiledy was pleased. And you shall come home at the end of hay-harvest, chances, she said, to make your wedding clothes, and the wedding shall be at Michaelmas. The glory roses'll be in their second blooming then, and you shall have em for your nosegay. I tell ye, says Beguiledy, as San shanna take her. You can tell un so from me, Prue San, thwarted I wanna be. I've cursed the man by fire and water, and cursed he'll surely be. Tell un neither with the ring nor without it shall he take my wench. Well, good day to you, Mr. Beguiledy, I said, for I thought it was time to drive on. Prue, said Jancis, as we drove through the water meadows between Plash and Callard's Dingle, what for did ye knife Grimble's dog and take on the way you did about Weaver? She looked up at me with those big blue eyes of hers, and I beat Bendigo cruel so as to be busy about summat. The poor old nag gave a half-look round, and my conscience pricked me, but what was I to do? Folk be saying it was a very out-of-the-ordinary thing for a girl to do for a stranger. Ah, even as far as Grimble's they knew it was you, though neither Grimble nor the missus told them, for they didn't like to speak of it, being beaten over it. But everybody knows in all the country round by this. She kept on looking and looking at me, and the red scarlet was burning like fire in my cheeks. I kept on thrashing Bendigo, and we went over the Thompson marshy bits at such a wallop as never was. Jancis gave a little laugh, very knowing and aggravating. Poor old Bendigo's done naught, says she. I want to get there, I answers, foolish-like. Oh, I'll be bound you'll get there, she says. Then she was quiet for a bit, though she watched me all the while. I wonder, she said after a time, what Weaver had think if he knew. He couldna know, I said. He was in a swound. He met here tell, and I wonder what he'd think if it came to his ears that Prue San had foughten for unlike a tiger. He'd think naught. Everybody do know I'm sorry for the afflicted. Well, but he inna what you'd call one of the afflicted, Mr. Woodseaves inna. He's the best wrestler in these parts, and a right proper man. He was afflicted when Grimble's Toby got him by the throat, one a he? Ah, but why must it be Prue San that did save him? And why must she take his yed to her bosom so kind and all? Not but what he'd got very nice brown hair and silky. I was used to notice it when he was writing the letters for me. And that Felina thinks so too. She does fairly torment him, market days. What a brazen piece! What does she do? I was glad to turn Jancis on to summat else. Oh, she goes to the house and leaves a great basket of mushrooms, or a frail of wimbries, or maybe a bit of mutton, if shepherds killed a sheep. And if she meets him in the road, she'll look at un with them green eyes and smile as sweet as an October nut. And one night when shepherd was drunk, and they were late starting home, 
What must she do but go in the dusk and sing a wild song outside his window? What did she sing? Oh, she sang, a virgin went a souling in the dark of the moon, a soul cake, a soul cake. Oh, give it me kindly and give it me soon, a soul cake, a soul cake. A young man he looks from his window so bright, there's a virgin come wailing in the dark of the night. Now what'll you give me for a soul cake, my maid? My body, my body for a soul cake, she said. And I call that a right-down improper song, don't you, Prue? What did he think of it? I wouldn't have demeaned myself to ask him, but she's a very wild woman, is Felina. She'll tice him up and tempt him to a fall if somebody don't keep her off. But I want to know what I be to say to Weaver if he asks me why you were so busy a saving of him. Say naught. Naught's no answer. It's all he'll get. The way you stood over the fellow, like one of the angels at Eden Gate, with that great knife. It's none of your business if I did. Ah, it be. For why? Because I love ye, Prue. Thank be to goodness we're at Callard's, I said, as we came into the fold, and the house door burst open and out came the five children, Grandfather Callard, Mrs. Callard, and the baby, like bees from a skep. The last thing Jancis said afore I drove away was, I shall be bound to send for Weaver soon. Whatever for? To write me a letter to San. Why, you be only at two three miles from Gideon now. Whatever do you want to write a letter for? It's none of your business if I do, said she, very mim, and laughing to herself, which is what you did say to me, Prue San. End of Book Three, Chapter Four, Part Two